Steve Dace in Iowa. Steve, you've lived in Iowa your whole life, right? Uh, I was born here. I've lived here most of my life, off and on. I've except lived all over for, the country. Except for that prison, uh, that time in prison? Except we agreed we weren't going to discuss Okay, that. I'm sorry. Sorry, didn't mean to push it too far. <laughs> uh, and, and how many years have you been involved in the Iowa caucus process? Uh, since 1996, wow. uh, when uh, when I was originally uh, caucusing uh, for Phil Graham, so over 20 years. Wow, Phil Graham, a blast from the past. Okay, so tell me what is different this time, and because it looks very volatile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Please. this week, now Sanders in one poll is leading Biden by nine points. What's happened is there's there's no establishment, whatever the Democratic establishment is. And if you've been watching the fundraising in their party where their candidates are raising ginormous amounts, but no one is giving to the national party after what it did in in 2016. We're not really sure what the Democratic establishment is anymore. And I think that's why you're not seeing a whole bunch of people rush out to denounce Jeremy Corbyn. I'm sorry, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, the way that they. (laughs) the way they did Donald Trump on the right four years ago, because I think they're trying to figure out, hey, if we come out and denounce him, uh, that's why we want Obama to do it. His career is over. If we come out and denounce him, he might be the new establishment. This may be a a reshuffling of the deck chairs here. And so we're going to kind of wait and see what the first couple of states tell us. And so I think that's the issue. There's no Mitt Romney. There's there's no Hillary Clinton. There's no established, polished candidate. Joe Biden was weighed, measured, and found wanting. And I think that has now left this to a grassroots kind of free-for-all. So you do think that Joe Biden, the the shine is off in Iowa? No, I think the shine's off everywhere. I mean, if you look at his early state polling, except for South Carolina, I mean, the national polling, we've talked about this before, it's irrelevant. Except for South Carolina, largely based on black voters who don't watch cable news. I know there's so much race baiting on CNN and MSNBC, but it's almost all white woke people watching that. Mm-hmm. Like Don Lemon doesn't have a black audience, for example. Okay, so um, I, they're not even really fully engaged in South Carolina yet, and they're going to react to the sifting that's gone on here in Iowa, New Hampshire. That's what we always see. So I think that's still up for grabs as well. And so I think what you and I think you know Joe Biden putting out statements about trans civil rights and. He's he's grasping now. Uh, it, you know, I used to say when I was a, a professional football analyst, when when your team believes the game plan has failed, they just start trying things. You know, you're just well, let's try a run here, a pass here, a draw there, a play action there, and and see if we can get something to click because we're at a loss for why nothing we had game plan for is working. And I think Joe Biden, in the in, at least in terms of Iowa, New Hampshire, which is all that matters right now, he's at the trying things stage. So. How is this going to break down? Biden's in a caucus. Most Americans don't even understand how a caucus works. Can you explain Mm -hmm. that and then a follow-up question? Sure. They're all little mini conventions. So there's rules of order. There's orders of business. There's delegate uh, appointment that just depends on what all is on the agenda. Um, You know, on the Republican side, because a lot of those people are in private industry, they try to get in and out as fast as they can, and the process can still take an hour. On the Democratic side, though, everyone's got a kvetch, so, so grab a Snickers. You're going to be here for a while, okay? And, and they're going to handle all of their business. And, and this year it's different in that when they're gaveled, when you come into the caucus and, and, and have your name checked, and, yes, you do have to verify that you are you. So 
Apparently it's not racist when the Democrats do it to themselves. Mm. When you do that, this year is different because of what happened in 2016 where Bernie Sanders won the popular vote, but Hillary Clinton won Iowa's Electoral College with the delegates. They're now making it so that you have to declare who you're for when you come in. This has never happened before. Usually there's been like a straw poll first to kind of figure out who the candidates are. They're going to fall by the wayside. You're now going to declare when you come in. That's a huge advantage to somebody like Bernie Sanders, because when you declare for him, I mean, those his, the, the Soviets there are going to make sure that, that you follow through. There, there's one candidate in this race that knows right now that he's not coming out of the room in Iowa with fewer votes than he had going in. And the only candidate I think that can say that is Bernie Sanders. So what we're going to decide this last week, guys, is what is his ceiling? And you're going to see a lot of things thrown at him to try to mitigate his ceiling. And I do believe he has a ceiling. Um, but I, Because if he hadn't had such a na- high name ID candidate, he would have been leading this race the whole time. He does have a ceiling. The problem is you can't replace nothing with nothing. Somebody has to replace that. Somebody has to be the place where everybody that thinks this guy is another Jeremy Corbyn and he can't win, where they believe they can settle on who that is. And we're sitting here one week from Iowa after a year-long campaign, and they still don't know who that is. And okay. that's why it's advantage Bernie Sanders. So when you say he, Bernie Sanders has a ceiling, does that include any of the voters from Elizabeth Warren? Because they seem to be... Uh, you know, I wanted Warren, but she's not out here. She's not going to make it. So I'm going to throw it to, to Sanders. Does she does she lose uh, members to Sanders in the end in Iowa? Yes. And I think you're already seeing that's reflected. We've had there have been symbiotic relationships. And we've talked about these lanes before. Buttigieg and Biden are in a lane because that's the lane Buttigieg chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Sanders and Warren are in a lane and and they've have and symbiotic when one is up the other's down when one is down the other is up and now i think you have seen that the stunt that her and cnn orchestrated i do believe they orchestrated it the last debate with the hot mics and stuff it's blown up in her face and hasn't really helped her at all and so he seems to do well with calamity like his numbers rose after a heart attack his numbers rose after getting embarrassed by elizabeth warren i it's a, it's it's a damnably weird thing but it's it's the numbers are what they are and so she's now in danger of You can have people who are just now at the point where um, I just want to vote for a woman where you could see them now say maybe Bernie Sanders has drained all of her support that they were tethered together. He could drain. And maybe some of that now starts to go to an Amy Klobuchar because we we might get down to I just want to be able to vote for a woman in the room. It's the it's the time of the woman. And I think that's what the Des Moines Register endorsement was about, was to try to throw one more lifeline to Elizabeth Warren. Hmm. Uh, it's always a good idea to vote uh, based on uh, people's ge- you know gender. That's always a great idea, um, especially I, when it's fluid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was interested. I wanted to ask you about Klobuchar because here she is. She has kind of been the fifth candidate in this race for a long time. She has her polls are coming up. The latest Emerson poll that came out today has her at thirteen percent in Iowa, ahead of both Buttigieg and Warren. Uh, she seems to be making a late, last-minute sort of run. We've seen these things happen in Iowa before, on the Republican side with Santorum. Uh, you know, it's it's happened. What uh, what do you think her chances are? I think it's possible she could finish in the top three and survive as viable beyond here. I, I don't believe she can get a percentage that would win. I, you, you mentioned Santorum, and that's a good analogy. If you remember, that campaign was the flavor of the month, and Rick never had his turn. 
and it got down to the end. He never really had an impressive galvanizing moment, but it got down to the end. And if you were a conservative that didn't want Mitt Romney as your nominee, he was the last one left that hadn't been branded or tarnished in some way. She's running great ads right now. Um, And they're very likable. They're very, I can get things done. Hey, let's be adults. At some point, you know, we have to win an election once we're done, uh, you know, uh, checking our woke credentials. She should have started doing this about two months ago. Hmm. If she had started doing this in the fall and built her name up, name ID high enough, particularly as Warren and Sanders got, um, you know, uh, really handsy. I think she could have, and Biden began to implode with his appearances. I think she could have really been a viable threat here. She was too timid, waited too long to make her move um, and, and, and choose her lane as the adult in the room. But the fact that she can still get a late rise here into a respectable finish is indicative of how weak the we just got to win the election lane has become for the Democrats. All right. Can you hang on for a second? Steve? Sure. Steve Dace, who follows this program on the uh, Blaze Radio and TV network. Uh, You can find uh, him at Steve Dace. Uh, You follow him on Twitter. Uh, It is the Steve Dace Show. Again, airs every day, Monday through Friday, after this program on uh, Blaze TV. Back with him in just a second. So how did, with Bernie gone uh, for the last few days, how is AOC... Uh, doing and and did you see much of of the the Soviet show that they were really putting on for Bernie? No, um, and I think that that's great and, and for us from a clickbait perspective, and it's going to be very harmful in a general election. But but right now the biggest issue is every Bernie Sanders is a defined entity. Glenn. I mean, this idea now that we're going to get all this oppo research dump on him from the left um, and it's going to hurt him with the, with leftists, it, it's it's desperation no, it's time. Too, it's yeah. fouling at the end of a basketball game when you're down by 10 to prolong it. And but you've already lost what they've got to figure out. They've got to come up with an alternative to him. That's the argument. That's the debate. They have to have an affirmative alternative to him. And and, and focusing on him doesn't find them that affirmative alternative And here's something to keep in mind. I mean, there was a Boston Globe poll out yesterday that had him way ahead in in New Hampshire. No one that has ever won both Iowa and New Hampshire has failed to win their party's nomination ever Mm. in either the Republican or Democratic Mm. parties. Mm. So Bernie Sanders, you can, okay, you take him from 30 to 25. Who's your candidate that's going to get 26? They haven't figured that out yet. Now, Buttigieg, I thought, shot himself in the foot uh, this weekend with his response to a a question from a, a Democratic voter. In fact, can we play this? Um, woman stood up and said, look, I'm a I'm a Democrat, but I don't seem to belong anymore. Listen to this. The Democratic platform contains language that basically says that we don't belong. We have no part in the party because it says abortion should be legal up to nine months. The government should pay for it. And there's nothing that says that people have a diversity of views on this issue should be included in the party. In 1996 and several years after that, there was a language in the Democratic platform that said that we understand that people have very differing views on this issue, but we are a big tent party that includes everybody. And so therefore, we welcome you, people like me, into the party so we can work on issues that we agree on. Yeah. So I, my question was, do you, would you be open to language like that? in the, the Democratic pap- platform that really did say that our party is diverse and inclusive, and we want everybody. 
Well, I support the position of my party uh, that this kind of medical care needs to be available to everyone. Uh, and I support the Roe versus Wade framework uh, that holds that early in pregnancy there are very few restrictions and late in pregnancy there are very few exceptions. And again, the best I can offer is that we may disagree on that very important issue uh, and hopefully we will be able to partner on other issues. It wasn't an answer to the question at all and he got hammered for it. Are there a lot of Democrats in Iowa that are in her situation? No, there's, there's not a lot of Democrats like this. Well, there's not a lot of white Democrats in her situation, really anywhere in the country. Most of those people have either already become independents or Democrats because they got this message 10 years ago that this is the direction their party was going to go. But where it does hurt him is his entire calculus. If we're just, can we just be blunt? Yeah. Not that we haven't already. He has no qualifications to be president other than how he has sex. He's a unique, special interest. <laughs> he qualifies okay, as blunt. Is. <laughs> yeah, that is. That works. Okay. You nailed it. It was blunt. If, if a straight individual that was mayor of Cedar Rapids, a town, Iowa, a town of 100,000, was running for president, would they have lasted this long? Would they have been taken straight no. of any ethnicity, any color? No, of no. course not. And so that's his whole M.O. He's really politically inexperienced. He has no resume, no other reason to support him other than you just want to check that intersectionality box. And he's run a very clever campaign where he doesn't highlight that really at all and tries to highlight his military service. And I am a centrist. Well, if you're going to run as I'm a centrist, I'm going to run in Joe Biden's lane. And then in the last debate, you get caught lying about, well, yeah, it's Medicare for all. We can't have stragglers. And then you turn around on national TV and say stuff or, or turn around in a, in a forum and say stuff like that that goes on national social media. It, it shows that he's the, the, the thin, narrow road, to pardon the pun, that he has tried to carve out here for himself is an untravelable pass. And it was only going to be a matter of time before it was going to be exposed. He, he's undermined his own his own argument that I'm the person that can reach people we traditionally cannot get to build our coalition. No, we can't. Okay, so there is a new New York Times uh, Siena College poll of likely caucus goers, and it shows Buttigieg meet, uh, beating Biden by one point. I think it's possible Joe Biden could finish second, and I think it's possible he could finish fifth. I think that's very fluid. I don't think there's any scenario barring he's alive on February 3rd. Bernie Sanders is not in the top three in Iowa. Any scenario. And then after that, I don't know what happens after that. I think Joe Biden could finish second to fifth. I think Elizabeth Warren could finish still in the top three and then finish sixth. I think Amy Klobuchar could get in the single digits and finish third. The rest of this is very fluid because they haven't figured out is who is the more polished candidate that can win those suburban, exurban voters that they took away from Trump in 2018 when it was a blind taste test. And they didn't have to put a candidate opposite him, but you could just check yes or no and, and what you thought of Trump. There was a 14-point swing. That, that's the whole election, guys. Is Trump overperformed suburban and exurban voters in 2016 from even the Republican Party's data and won those women by five points. In 2018, he lost them by nine. That 14-point swing is the whole election. And the Democrats are struggling to figure out who is a candidate that won't scare those voters off so they'll know just vote against Donald Trump and for us like they did in the 2018 midterms. How's the impeachment working in Iowa for the regular person? Uh, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. I mean, there's an Associated Press story out today that says people don't care. 
Um, there's, there's, it's, it's funny, a lot of these networks now are running stories about how people in these early states don't care, and then they just go back to wall-to-wall impeachment. Nobody knows what a John Bolton is. Nobody cares. Most, nobody can spot Ukraine on a map. All right. No one cares. All right. And so I, it's just not relevant. Uh, and, and this whole exercise has also limited their ability. It's no it's no coincidence, gentlemen, that the, that when this went on the front burner, that's also when Bernie's numbers went up. Why? Because he's the only candidate that knows his supporters are the freaking postal service. Come rain, come snow, come sleet, come shine. They're there. It doesn't matter. All right. I mean, they're, they're, Jesus is going to have to open the 47th seal for Bernie Sanders voters not to show. And he's the only candidate that has that kind of support while the rest of them are now distracted. Steve Dace, thank you. Great analysis uh, coming out of Iowa from Steve Dace. The caucus is next Monday. If you've never been to a caucus, it is a wild, wild ride. It's nothing like you've experienced in any other state. Uh, And we will be all over it next Monday with Steve Dace. Hello and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, I remember the days of podcasts when it was dominated uh, by things like NPR. For news and commentary, it was all just left-wing everything. I want to thank you so much for sticking with us and being with us and supporting us in our efforts at uh, Blaze TV. Just looking at the uh, podcasts uh, and the list of podcasts. If you you look at you know the New Yorker Radio Hour and WINC on the Media and NPR and Meet the Press, uh, you will see beating those the Glenn Beck program, Mark Levin. I'm uh, just looking at the news commentary. Uh, Mark Levin, Blaze, uh, the Glenn Beck program. Blaze Media, Dave Rubin, Blaze Media. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Steve Dace, Blaze Media. Stu Does America, hadn't even started Blaze Media. <laughs> News and Why It Matters, Blaze Media. Pat Gray, Unleashed, Blaze uh, Podcast. Um, the White House Brief, uh, Blaze Podcast. Rick and Bubba University, Blaze uh, Pseudo intellectual with Lauren Chen, Blaze podcast, and it goes on. And we just—I can't thank you enough for uh, subscribing to these, rating these, and actually using these uh, these podcasts. We're trying to put out a really good product, and I think we do every day. Um, and you know, we we appreciate your support. Uh, it's nice to be in battle with you. So thank you for that. Uh, Stu, what haven't we uh, covered? Today we're going to cover at 5 o'clock the impeachment from Saturday. I watched the whole thing on Saturday, and I thought it was I thought it was outstanding. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it didn't get a lot of play. We do have some um, audio from it, uh, if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, this is, do we have this clip? Uh, Mike pulled this this morning, Sarah, about uh, withholding aid. Uh, how common is that? Because we're told that that is like you can't withhold aid. The from president, a to, you know, he was quid pro quo. This he was withholding mm-hmm. aid. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. Right. Listen. Listen. So the made-up narrative that security assistance was conditioned on Ukraine taking some action on investigations 
is further disproved by the straightforward fact that the aid was delivered on September 11, 2019, without Ukraine taking any action on any investigation. Well, there's that. It's interesting to note that the Obama administration withheld $585 million of promised aid to Egypt in 2013. But the administration's public message was that the money was not officially on hold, as technically it was not due until September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. So they didn't have to disclose the halt to anyone. Sounds like this may be a practice of a number of administrations. In fact, to the president, this president has been concerned about how aid is being put forward. So there have been pauses on foreign aid in a variety of contexts. In September of 2019, the administration announced that it was withholding over $100 million in aid to Afghanistan over concerns about government corruption. In August of 2019, President Trump announced that the administration and Seoul were in talks to substantially increase Seoul Korea, uh, South Korea's share of the expense of U.S. military support for South Korea. In June, President Trump caught, cut or paused over $550 million in foreign aid to El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala because those countries were not fairly sharing the burdens of preventing mass migration to the United States. This is not the only administration. As I said, President Obama withheld hundreds of millions of dollars of aid to Egypt. To be clear, and I want to be clear, Ambassador Yovanovitch herself testified that our policy actually got stronger under President Trump. Mm -hmm. Largely because, unlike the Obama administration, quote, this administration made the decision to provide lethal weapons to Ukraine to help Ukraine fend off Russian aggression. She testified in a deposition before your various committees that, and actually I felt that in the three years that I was there, partly because of my efforts, but also the interagency team and President Trump's decision to provide lethal weapons to Ukraine, that our policy actually got stronger. Deputy Assistant Secretary Kent, his name's come up a couple of times, agree that javelins are in incredibly effective weapons at stopping armored advance, and the Russians are scared of them. Ambassador Volker explained that President Trump approved each of the decisions made along the way, and as a result, America's policy towards Ukraine strengthened. So when we want to talk about facts, go to your own discovery and the, your own witnesses that you called. This all supposedly started because of a whistleblower. Where is that whistleblower? Mm. Uh, I thought that was incredibly effective. And uh, the, the entire process, it lasted, I think, three hours on Saturday from start to finish. Um, and uh, I thought the entire process was that good all the way along. These are the facts that you haven't heard before. I mean... There was nothing new to learn. I tried to watch it last week, but there was nothing new all last week. And they just kept repeating it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what are, you, what are you doing? These guys stood up and said, we're not going to take 24 hours. We don't need 24 hours. We're going to give you three hours today. We're going to come back on Monday, and then we'll come back on Tuesday, and we'll be done. Because there's not 
There's not 24 hours worth of stuff to go over. They don't have a case. I agree. I, and I think, too, there is a there's a problem here in that um, the argument was set up, I think, in such a faulty way at the beginning with this idea that there's no quid pro quo. And, uh, you know, that's basically the entire argument. I think th- if you just look at this case in the way it's supposed to be, which they outline here, that we do have quid pro quos when we're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars to other countries. Yeah, they got to do stuff for us. Those things need to be done. They need to be maybe not wasting all the money. They don't need, it doesn't go to terrorists. Uh, You know, it doesn't, there's a million different restrictions that are put on foreign policy all the time. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, both the White House and many on the Republican side fell into this trap of setting an incredibly low hurdle for Democrats to clear, just that there was a quid pro quo. Well, there should be a quid pro quo. That's what you when you're throwing all, all that, of that's... capitalism is a quid pro quo. Exactly. You know, it's just not. I think the way the White House is interpreted, because this is the way it was interpreted by the defense, or I mean by the prosecution, and you don't let them define terms. But I think they let the prosecution uh, define quid pro quo as uh, bribery or something nefarious, where instead. No, I'm not giving Afghanistan the money because they've got a problem with corruption. Clean it up. No, I'm not giving that country because they're not helping out on what they're supposed to be doing for NATO. Clear it up. That's normal procedure. But remember, they were equating it with bribery. And I think that's the only explanation I can come up with with the with why the defense was saying no quid pro quo. They were using it in a way yeah. of bribery. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think this happens from time to time. You know, you you don't want to give any ground to the left because they will take it and they will burn you on it and it never helps. And that's an understandable instinct. But I think m- more importantly is defending the right ground and making yes. sure that, like, I, yes. this is where I stand. Be proud of the fact that you had a quid pro quo and held back money because you thought they were corrupt. That's a totally legitimate pre- yep. point and a totally legitimate um, position for a White House to take. And the fact that it's been done before really supports that because we, of course, are going to do those things. Instead, we wind up going, look, well, we never, we, we, you know, we didn't know anything about this ambassador. Well, I mean, you know, again, like these are such low bars to clear. Now you have, you know, pe- people talking on tape, uh, you know, I don't know who Lev Parnas is or whatever. Well, you, you had dinner with him all these times, or at least this one lengthy time, and it's on tape. And it's like, well, instead of these giving absolutely no ground, uh, and just trying to defend every single position that it's a perfect call, for example. If you're instead step back and say, look, what we're doing, here's the overall thing we're doing, and this is the right thing to be do- doing because this is in the national interest of this country. If if that were the argument from the beginning, none of these points could even be made mm-hmm. because all every piece of evidence backs up that we were acting in that fashion with the exception of if you just don't believe Donald Trump ever acts in the American interest. And if you're that person, well, you're in that 40% of Democrats who, who believe that, and you're never going to win any of those people over. But to anyone in the middle, and, and I don't think this is working on the Democrat side, but anyone who's in the middle or an undecided voter or an independent voter, I think looks at this and says, wait a minute, that makes sense. If we're going to dump $400 million to Ukraine, shouldn't we make sure they're not just wasting it or giving it to corrupt officials, or it's going into Joe Biden's so son's pocket. This is this is the feeling that I got on um, on Saturday 
that if I were sitting there in the Senate, I would have said, well, all that makes sense. And how come the Democrats never told me any of this? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. They, they, their, their case was taken apart because the Trump uh, team didn't introduce anything new. They just took pieces of the testimony that was never reported, never brought up, not in the press and not in uh, the impeachment setup uh, from the prosecution. So if you're sitting there, you feel as though the Democrats lied to you, and they did. They left a lot of exoneration, uh, exonerating evidence out completely and didn't explain it away. If you have exonerating evidence, you have to, when you first stay, step up and make your case and say, they're going to say this. Well, that's not what the, Democrat, or the Republicans said. They didn't stand up and say what Schiff said. They just went back to the evidence and said, I want you to see here, here, and here. How come they left this out? Why didn't they tell you about this? Because this really changes everything, doesn't it? And I think it's critical that Americans, especially if you are looking for the truth and the part of the impeachment that you have not heard before, you need to listen to this today. Now, we're going to give you the uh, the recap at 5 o'clock of what happened this weekend and some of the early stuff from what's, what's happening today. But it starts at uh, 1 o'clock, and you can find it, you know, wherever you can you can grab it. I mean, White House Gov or C-SPAN or wherever. Um, but, but grab it and watch it. If you miss it or you need it to be distilled, make sure you grab my show tonight and all this week until this is over at 5 p.m. We'll give you the complete rundown in about 22 minutes. You'll have everything you need. This is the Glenn Beck program. You know, with all of the stuff going on, uh, as we said, the Iowa caucus is Monday. The State of the Union is next Tuesday. Uh, we have the impeachment trial going on. That should end maybe by Wednesday. They'll start to vote on whether they're going to have, you know, uh, John Bolton or anybody else, the whistleblower, <clears throat> be called to testify uh, on that. With all of the things going on, one thing that has uh, slipped past, I think, everybody is this Middle East peace plan. The president has Benjamin Netanyahu at the White House today. They're meeting today over a major peace plan, uh, and they're going to announce it tomorrow at noon. That peace plan uh, is talking about the so-called occupied territories, and it will come with a new map. And the speculation is those aren't ever going to be called uh, occupied or in dispute anymore, at least by America. Um, we're introducing new borders and everything else, a proposal that already before any of it has come out, the Palestinian, um, the Palestinian authority has, you know, pretty much come out and said, burn the whole place down. When this comes out, we want full fledged riots on the streets, uh, which is always good to hear from your leaders. I, you know, I think you're, I mean, who doesn't want to hear that from your governor or, you know, your president, any leadership at all. We, we let's it's riots are ugly, but it's just about time we had one. 
that's what's happening in in Israel and will be happening from the White House tomorrow at noon. We're going to be watching the impeachment, so you don't have to, but I highly recommend that you do, and we'll see you at 5 p.m. on Blaze TV. Make sure you join me for the recap at 5. This is the Glenn Beck Program.